Well, good morning, everyone. I want to give a bit of an introduction before we get into the sermon. This particular topic is going to be a bit challenging for some, and it's probably not what of what I would have first picked to put online. Uh, but I want you to know my process if you're not aware of it. Um, my sermon texts are chosen a year advance uh, prayerfully. I, I look at the topics and, and what scriptures you might be looking at. And they're also seasonal. Uh, so right now we're in the season of Lent, and that's usually when we study the life of Jesus and his death. So this was chosen well in advance. And then as I prepare to actually deliver the sermon, I also want to make sure that they are timely. Does it speak to the times we are in right now? And I think this sermon does both of those, but it is going to be a bit challenging. And, and so um, those of you who know me, I'm not a hellfire and brimstone kind of preacher, but we're going to talk to some tough topics today. And I want to make sure that we are communicating because I'm not in front of a live congregation. We're doing this online and I can't read your expressions. And when I teach communication, one of the things that I say, there's, there's four levels of communication. There's what the speaker says, and then there's what the listener heard. There's what the speaker meant, and then there's what the listener believes the speaker meant. And what I'm hoping is that what I say and mean actually communicates to what you hear and understand. So let's pray for that today. Dear God, today as we go and look into the Bible, and there will be some challenging things today, I pray that I speak clearly and that ears hear clearly, that we think the best of each other, knowing that the truth is something to be passionate about, even when it's a hard truth. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So, during this season, uh, we've been talking about blood. You know, we know the importance of our own blood. I know the importance of my own blood. It's one of those things that's necessary for life. I protect my blood, and I also give my blood. As we look forward to Easter, uh, on Good Friday, April 10th, we're going to have a Red Cross blood drive here. And one of the things they say for Red Cross is, you know, my blood can save one person. Well, Jesus' blood can save the whole world. And we've also been, I've been introducing you to some church history about people who've shown the stigmata. That's when people physically show the marks of Jesus' suffering at the crucifixion on their body with no medical reason why they have those, those bleeding wounds. And it's not a miracle or anything, it's not anything that anybody seeks out, but it's something that's interesting. Um, and I could see, you know, when people take certain verses out of context, it kind of leads to that. I'm not going to repeat those again. But one of the people that's interesting is uh, Padre Pio. Uh, and the reason why he's interesting is because he was actually alive in the 20th century. And so his stigmata was actually uh, verified on camera. Um, he had the stigmata for 50 years. And um, he, he never sought it, but it made him popular. Pilgrims would want to come see and hear him speak. Um, and here's what he did, though, that I thought was cool. Uh, because these people would come to see him, that, of course, brought money <laughs> into his church. And so he used his suffering to heal others. That money that came in, they built a hospital 
with that money. So it was very cool that he used his suffering to heal other people. And as we're looking at the marks of Jesus uh, as, as he approached the cross, today we're looking at when Jesus was scourged. And the third mark of Jesus' blood on me is that Jesus' blood gives healing. Now, from this point on, in the crucifixion part of the narratives of the Gospels, they actually don't give us a lot of details. And even history doesn't give us a whole lot of details. It gives us some important ones. But when we look at John 19.1, it just says this, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. It doesn't describe what flogging is. It just says it has it. Or some translations might say scourged or whipped. Uh, Matthew 27.26 says, Then he released Barabbas to them, and having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. Neither the scourging of Jesus or even the crucifixion is even described. And same way in Mark 15.15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. See, flogging, scourging, and crucifixion were known to the audience of the Gospels. So the writers didn't see the need for explanation or graphic details because people knew what that was. So let's get into this. Our first point today, and there'll be some explanation in a moment, is there's potential punishment awaiting everyone. Let me describe to you a Roman flogging. And this is from historical sources. A person could be either caned or whipped. Now, the whip was usually what we call a cat of nine tails, a whip with nine nine strings on it, and those would be fortified with bone or parts of lead. Caning was more likely for a Roman citizen. But here's the thing. These uh, scourgings and canings, they almost always preceded crucifixion. There are notes where people are being scourged and then they cry out, I'm a Roman citizen! Because it was very unlikely that a Roman citizen would be crucified. But they knew if they were going through that scourging or caning, that crucifixion was what was to come next. And so they would cry out, claim their citizenship, so they wouldn't get executed. Now, a person would be scourged until the person's bones showed. You may have heard uh, in other other sermons or books about the limit of 39 lashes. That was a Jewish law, not a Roman law. So we actually don't know how many times Jesus was whipped. There's a play by Platus uh, where it's talking about uh, a master is talking to a slave who is who uh, he wants to make sure he gets his work done, and he's under the threat of being scourged. And we don't know if he is uh, exaggerating or not, but he says to his servant, he says, "While others are digging out eight stones, unless you daily do half as much of work again, you shall have the name." 600-stripe man. So he's threatening him 
for scourging, he says, if you don't do uh, as much work and half again as much work as everybody else, I'm going to have you whipped, and they're going to say you have 600 stripes on your back. So with a cat of nine tails, we're talking over 60 lashes. So with that, something that should be obvious but should be pointed out, scourging could in fact lead to death. Some people that were crucified might have already been dead. Or they might have just been scourged and that was their, their death penalty. And it is meant to be torture. See, scourging is a punishment in some ways greater than death or in addition to death. We're going to tor- they, they would torture first and then finally kill. And so this is the times Jesus is living in, and he knew this was coming. In a practical sense, he said to his disciples in Matthew 20, 18 and 19, he said, See, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man, talking about himself, will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And on the third day he will be raised. So Jesus has this perspective. He realizes that if he's going to be condemned to death, there's going to be the scourging, then the cross, and then the resurrection. He has this present reality of what's coming, and also a future reality of the resurrection that's also coming. And Jesus would also know this, not just from the practical situation that he was in the society, but from prophecy. Psalm 129.3 is prophetic. It says, plowmen plowed over my back. They made their furrows long. Could you imagine having a, your, your, your back being like a farmer's field and it's being plowed? Isaiah 50, verse 6, also prophetically says, I gave my back to those who beat me, and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. So it was both prophetically uh, known, and it was also known by Jesus practically. Now, the I've said at the beginning, the mark of Jesus' blood on me means healing. And what in the world does scourging have to do with healing? Or remember the process. Scourging, cross, resurrection. We need to think of not just what is happening now, but the future reality. See, the thing is, sometimes we or I, if if I have an immediate problem that needs to be healed, I might lose sight of a long-term problem or illness that I might also have. You know, think about this. If I had a heart attack right now, I want the doctor to take care of my heart right now, and I'm not thinking about, you know what, down the road I really need to do some cardio and lose some weight. Right now, just take care of my heart so I don't die. You know, I right now we're thinking about our risk for flu or COVID-19. But how many of us are thinking about, you know what, I might have a risk for dementia later. You know, there, there's a more immediate thing. So, we pray to God to heal COVID-19. Both through miraculous means and through the use of doctors and, and through what we need to do to, to social distancing. 
We pray to God to heal COVID-19. But here's the thing. We still have a sin problem. And that's where we talk about, see, there's a potential torturous punishment for me that lasts longer than a sickness and that lasts longer than dying. Like I said at the beginning, I'm not a hellfire and brimstone preacher. I'm not going to go deep into this. I'm just going to read, you know, every writer or speaker of the New Testament speaks about a place after death where there's bad stuff going on because of evil. Jesus says, he calls this place a blazing furnace where there is crying and grinding teeth. Jesus says it's a place of eternal punishment. Jesus calls it a place of everlasting fire. And Jesus calls it a place of everlasting worms. The Apostle Paul addresses it. He calls it a place of everlasting destruction away from the presence of God. The Apostle Peter calls it a place of everlasting darkness. Jude the brother of Jesus calls it a place of everlasting fire. And the Apostle John calls it a, a fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, typically we call that place hell. Now, here's the thing. Human beings in general, we're all quicker to point out what we see is deserving of punishment in others perhaps before we see what is deserving of punishment in ourselves. It's interesting, my two-year-old has gotten to a point where sometimes when she starts to act out or have a tantrum, she sends herself to her room. She knows that's what I'm going to tell her to do, and she just does it herself. She realizes what she's doing, and she realizes, oh, I need to take a time out. But you know what? We don't all have that awareness of ourselves. She doesn't even have that awareness all the time. So I want to be clear what I... I want to make sure that we understand what I'm saying and what I'm not saying here. I am not calling out COVID-19 as a judgment from God. I also am not calling out any particular lifestyle choice. But Romans 6.23 begins with the phrase, The wages of sin is death. That when we do evil, we deserve to die. We deserve our punishment. And that verse is not written exclusively to liberals, and it's not written exclusively to conservatives. It's not written to gays. It's not written to straights. It's written to all human beings that the wages of sin is death. But... Also written to all human beings is the next phrase in that verse. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, just as there's a potential punishment awaiting everyone, there's also a potential healing awaiting everyone. I don't know if you remember, I know for me it was in 10th grade when we had to read A Tale of Two Cities. Spoiler alert for a very old novel. There's one character, Charles Darnay. He, in the process of this book, is going to be killed in the French Revolution. But 
he happens to have a, a lawyer who is a lookalike. And the lawyer chooses to take, the lawyer, Sidney Carlton, chooses to take Charles's place in his death. And in some ways, even though Sidney Carlton, the lawyer in that book, is not a very righteous man, he does give us a picture of, of Jesus. See, the Son of God became a human like me in order to take my place. Jesus didn't just live the law perfectly, and Jesus didn't just die for me, but Jesus took my full punishment. And that's what the scourging is about. Again, we look at prophecy. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says, He was pierced because of our rebellion and crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have turned our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquities of us all. He's, he took my place. It was also in the Psalms, in Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a psalm that Jesus references from the cross. And he says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? I feel like a worm and not a man. I'm scorned and despised by everyone. They mock me. They sneer at me and shake their heads. Many bulls surround me and encircle me. They open their mouths against me and maul me like lions. I am poured out like water. And here's the scourging. All my bones are disjointed. My heart is melting like wax within me. I can count all my bones. And they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. See, the Apostle Peter explains this in 1 Peter 2.24. He says of Jesus, He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that's on the cross, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now here's your tweetable statement. This is what the scourging of Jesus is about. Because remember, it's torture. Jesus went through hell on earth so that I wouldn't have to go through hell in hell or on earth. Got that? Jesus went through hell on earth so I wouldn't have to go through hell in hell or on earth. And that's what Romans 6.23 is about. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. David in Psalm 103 put it this way. My soul bless the Lord and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And don't forget all his benefits. He forgives all my iniquities. He heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit. And he crowns me with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies me with good things. And my life is renewed. Flogging, cross, resurrection. You know, we've gotten used to medicines that treat symptoms. 
when I was a youth pastor, I had a, a young lady in my youth group. She was getting headaches and and feeling sleepy a lot. And the doctors could have given her some kind of medication that would stimulate her during the day so she could stay awake and given her some melatonin so that she could sleep well at night. But that would only treat the symptoms. What the doctors did is they took out the tumor that was on her brain. And then she got better. And see, it's not that God doesn't want to or can't heal me from a virus. Of course he can. Of course God can heal me from my trauma or whatever. But God is one who wants to heal the root cause as well. So, let's get to one passage in Luke that actually gives us a little bit more around the scourging of Jesus. Luke chapter 23 Verses 13 through 16. Pilate called together the chief priests and the leaders and the people and said to them, You have brought me this man as one who misleads the people. But in fact, after examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with those things you accuse him of. Neither has Herod, because he sent him back to us. Clearly he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore I will have him whipped and then release him. See, there's one more thing that's awaiting everyone. And it's not a potential. There's potential punishment and there's potential healing. But the choice of what to do with Jesus is awaiting everyone. Let's look at Pilate. Pilate's in a situation, he's the governor of Judea. He has immediate concerns and long-term concerns. Immediately. He has an innocent man in front of him that some influential people want dead by crucifixion. He's tried to pass off Jesus to another leader, Herod, but Jesus just got sent back. So what he wants to do, he wants to have Jesus whipped and released. What does that mean? It flogged and freed is what he wants to happen to Jesus. What does it mean for him to free Jesus? Well, it could be two things. It could be flogged and dead. See, remember, sometimes that scourging could lead to death. So, and uh, according to Roman law, corpses of those sentenced to die are not to be withheld from their relatives. So, if Jesus were to die under the scourging, he could say it's over and he could give Jesus' body back to his family and he could tell the, uh, the religious leaders that wanted Jesus to be crucified, hey, sorry, he's dead, get out of here. Or if Jesus survived the flogging, maybe he's thinking, I could just let him go. He doesn't deserve to die. But either way, you know, as we looked at this, whether Jesus was flogged, you know, scourged till he died, or whether he's put on the cross, you know, he would have been punishing an innocent man. See, Pilate wants to get rid of his Jesus problem and his Jesus decision by any means necessary. I wish I could just let him go. I can't do that because these influential people might get me in trouble. I just want to, I want to send him to Herod, but Herod sends him back. I want to get rid of this Jesus choice. 
because it looks like all the choices are bad. But he made a choice. You ever had a choice like that? A choice that you just didn't want to make? I've talked about this before in my congregation, you know, when I had to have a cancer treatment. My choices were surgery or radiation. I didn't want either. I didn't want cancer, but my choices were surgery or radiation. But to make no choice meant choosing to die. So I made a choice. And you know what? The same way, like Pilate, I may not want to make a choice about Jesus. Or like my cancer. But I can't put off choosing forever. Because putting off the decision is the same as saying no. And it's choosing death and punishment instead of healing. That's not what I want for anyone. That's not what Jesus wants for anyone. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You know, my friend, uh, my student that, that had the brain tumor removed, after her surgery, she, she made a sweatshirt that she wore to school in youth group. It said, I just had brain surgery. What's your excuse? Now, what's, what's my excuse for not making my choice about Jesus? In Psalm 130, David's prayer is a prayer of choosing salvation. I'm going to pray this. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Listen to my voice. And let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. God, if you kept account of my sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord and I put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than a watchman waits for the morning. Put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with him, and in him is redemption in abundance. If that's what you want, please pray with me. Lord God, we know that is true. If you marked every wrong thing we did, and you do, none of us could stand in your presence. We'd all be deserving of punishment. But we thank you for Jesus, who took not just my death, but my punishment upon himself. And I ask in faith that that punishment stand in for me. And I claim Jesus as Lord of my life, knowing he will raise me up in the last day and will raise me up to live now. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. If you pray that today, I hope you will let me know, put it in the comments of the video, and I will get a hold of you. The Lord bless you.